chapter 15. I have to apologize. So we were in our Go Deeper class, uh, which is we take this Sunday sermon, and on Tuesday our class goes over it, and they said, well, where are we going to be on Sunday? And I told them, John chapter 16. So sorry, Go Deeper class. We were actually in John chapter 15. And we're going to be talking about Jesus, the true vine. Now, John is, one of the earmarks of John is that Jesus is proving that he is God. And he makes seven I am statements. Now, when we think of I am, where where do we usually think about? The burning bush, right? Moses went to the burning bush and and God says, you're going to go and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And he says, who, who should I tell them sent me? And what did God say? I am has sent you. Tell them the I am. And so when Jesus makes these seven I am statements, he is proclaiming to the nation of Israel that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he is one with the Father. In chapter 6 of John, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, the first half, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In chapter 10, in the last half, he says, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. So let's go to John chapter 15. We'll be in the first seven verses. If you'll read along with me. So... Come on in, guys. You're good. John chapter 15, we're going to read the first 17 verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as the branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, 
So prove to be his disciple, my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be full and that your joy may be full, be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all the things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give you. This, is my, this I command you, that you love one another. I am the true vine. What a wonderful thing that he, he tells us here. Anybody here grow grapes? I've got a grape arbor out at my house. And guess what, guess what grows on my grape arbor? Grapes, right? Good job. It grows grapes. Now, I have a problem. It's called birds. You see, those birds know exactly when the grapes get ripe. I can go out one day and say, oh, those grapes are going to be ready tomorrow. And I'll go out the next day, and those birds have just taken every one of them. But it grows grapes, and, and, and Jesus is talking to us about this, he's talking to his disciples, and, and he's talking to us too. Now I want you to get the setting for this. If we go back to the end of 14, what is the very last sentence in the end of 14? Jesus said, get up, let's go from here. They've been in the upper room. He's been giving them the, the discourse in the upper room. He's been talking to them about Wonderful things like, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave here. But if I leave here, I'm going to come back. And then they start the journey to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if you were, if anybody here been to Israel? If you go to Israel, the Garden of Gethsemane is where? It's out the East Gate. You go out the east gate, you go down into the Kidron Valley, and then as you start climbing up the Mount of Olives, there is the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as they leave and go through the east gate, there's, there's an interesting uh, thing that's described in history. Now, the, at the time of Jesus, the temple that they worshipped at was called Herod's Temple. Because Herod had come and rebuilt the temple. And when he did, he had built special gates on the eastern gate, which is closest to the garden. 
or closest to the temple, and it goes out into the east. And on that, in gold, was carved this beautiful representation of a vine. Because Israel is known as the vine. God is the vine. They are the true, they, they would have been considered true vine. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Also, as you pass through the gate, you get into the vineyards. And, and we'll, so, so the setting that we see, now it's a full moon, okay, for those who didn't know, the Passover is always uh, set on a full moon. So they just had the Last Supper in, in preparation for the Passover. And they're out in the full moon and they're walking out the east gate and they see this beautiful depiction of the vine. And then they walk out into the vineyard and Jesus begins to talk to them about being the true vine. Now there's a lot of people who look at this and they say, well... This verse says that if you don't bear fruit for Jesus, you're going to lose your salvation. Anybody ever heard that? that? That's, in some churches, that's preached quite often. But as we look at this passage, I want us to understand that, that Jesus always, always talks within the context of the Bible. And we have seen that as Jesus talked about with his disciples, what, what did he say about whose hand he's in? He said, you're in my hand, and what? No one can what? Snatch you out of my hand. And to make it even better, you're in the Father's hand, and nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And then what did we learn two weeks ago? The Holy Spirit seals you. Can you break the seal and take yourself out of God's hand? Absolutely not. So, number one, it's inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus. That you can lose your salvation because you don't work hard enough. And there's a number of verses that talk about that. Salvation is not based on our works. Secondly, I want you to see the fact that he says, I am the what? The true vine. Now, when Jesus says that, he gives us a little hint that if there's a true vine, what goes along with that? There's a false vine. Or dead vine. Now who was that dead vine or what is that dead vine? As we look at the Bible, the Old Testament in a number of passages proclaim that Israel is the vine. Okay, so we're going to, Israel is the vine that bears no fruit. Israel. It's not believers. Believers are, are ones who are going to get pruned. We'll see those in just a minute. 
But in Psalms chapter 80, or, uh, Psalms 80, verses 8 and 9, it says, You removed a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it, and it took deep root and filled the land. He's, he's re reciting the history of Israel, isn't he? They, they were in Israel for 400 years. God brought them out by Moses, brought them into the land, drove the people out, and he planted them there. In Isaiah, verses 1 and 7, it says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. Who's, who is the vine dresser? The father. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. And in verse 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is it. Now, oh, this is a little clue, isn't it? Who the, who the vine is? Is the house of Israel. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant, and thus he looks for justice. But behold... Bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. What did Israel do? They rejected Jesus. He, he said, hey, I want you, to, you're my nation. Uh, they said, what? I want a, we want a king like everybody else. And God says, you know what? I, you have no king but me. And Jesus came, and over and over again, we just saw the seven I am's. He said, I am. And time and again, the Jewish people rejected him as a savior. Now I want you to watch what happens in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this of this wonderful vine, right? Yet I planted you a choice vine a completely faithful seed. How then have you turned yourself before me into degenerate shoots of a foreign vine? Oh, what happened to Israel? They were planted as a, as a vine and they became the foreign vine. They became the false vine. And God said, the dead vine, they, they were not producing. And so God cut them off. Now, God left a remnant. And that we're going to see that remnant. We see it all through the Bible as God has a plan for Israel. It's not done yet. If you look at the book of Revelation, it is about Israel coming back to God. And if you go to Israel today you will see that that prophecy is being restored. But in the meantime, what did God say? You've rejected my son. I'm going to cut you off. And they're going to be burned up. The, the vine that bears no fruit is Israel. It's cut off. God will, God will come back to him, but it's cut off. Now, what's the next kind of branch that we saw. The next, it's the branch that is bearing fruit. 
Are you fruit bearers? Have you thought about that? Are you bearing fruit? He says, the fruit bearers, and every Christian will bear some sort of fruit. They will, just by the nature that you're grafted into the branch. Once you, once you uh, become part of Christ, you're grafted into that branch. And you become a fruit-bearing branch. Come on. Uh, technology, right? It says, I'm listening, I think. Come on. Now it's probably going to jump like four. Can you guys advance for me back there? I don't, I don't know why it's, it's not wanting to. Fruit-bearing branches are pruned. Now, I love to garden. I've got some peach trees out there. And when you come out, you probably look, they're pretty sad. They got uh, curly leaf this year. They're pretty sad looking. But I've got, I got some apple trees. And in order to keep them in really good health, I have to go out every year and I have to prune them. Now, what do you prune off of, tree, uh, off of fruit trees? Suckers. And what do suckers do? They, they, go, they go straight up and they, produce abs- they don't produce fruit at all. You ever seen people in church that are like that. They, they produce no fruit, but they sure suck a lot of energy out of you. What are some of the other things you prune off your trees? Dead branches. Branches that aren't producing fruit. And the pruning process is not comfortable, is it, for the tree? Right? Matter of fact, you prune that tree off, and what happens? A little bit of sap comes out. And it covers up where you pruned, right? It has to heal that. Well, there's, there's another thing that we prune off. And we prune off branches that are going in the wrong direction. Right? They cross over. Do we have branches growing out of us that are going the wrong direction? What happens when a branch grows the wrong direction? Trouble, right? It start sometimes as they grow, they'll rub against each other, and they'll cause they'll cause a, a, an opening that can let disease in. You know, sometimes we we have to God has to prune us, right? And it's never comfortable, is it? When God prunes us, we don't say, "Oh, thank you for for sending me back in the right direction." I was rubbing. Somebody the wrong way. We don't ever do that in church, do we? We don't rub people the wrong way because we're Christians. We love each other. But sometimes God says, you know what? I'm going to prune you up a little bit because you're rubbing folks the wrong way. And so he prunes a little bit off of us to to keep us growing in the right direction because if we're growing in the right direction and that fruit comes on, and sometimes God will just say, you know what? Uh, you know, you got too many branches going on. You ever get that way in church? <laughs> oh, I'm doing this over here, and I'm doing this over there, and I'm doing that and that and that, and you get so many branches growing that you don't do any of them well, and you, ended up, you end up with these little bitty fruit 
a bunch of little bitty fruits. So sometimes God will just say, you know what? I'm going to trim you back a little bit. You've got a spiritual gift. Work within your spiritual gift. Let God prune you. And sometimes God prunes us uh, through the series of discipline. Not all pruning is discipline. Just because God is pruning you doesn't mean you're doing things bad. Doesn't mean he's just saying, I want you to produce more fruit. I want you to be the best branch you can be. But sometimes God has to take those bad things out of our life. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You see, sometimes God just says, hey, I love you too much to let you continue that way. Anybody ever have that experience as a child? Right? Yeah, my dad was really good at redirecting me. He says, I, I love you too much to allow you to continue to do what you're doing. And God says, okay. And now's the time. You're, I'm going to discipline you. And when God disciplines us, he always does it out of love. You know, the, the, the true vine dresser, he doesn't go out and take the weed eater, does he? Here, I'm going to whack, whack it all off. Now he goes out and he lovingly clips off. Oh, there's a bad one. There's a bad one. And then what, is he, what does he do with all of that? He burns it. Why? It spreads disease. If you just clip stuff off and leave them on the ground, that disease gets back in. So he says, I, want you to, I, I, I don't want you to, to get that disease back in. So he, he takes it and he burns it. Well, in verse 3, it says something very interesting. He says, first in verse 2, he said, I prune so that you may bear more, more uh, fruit. And in verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken you. Fruit-bearing branches are clean. Now, this is kind of interesting. I, when I was doing my research on uh, the message, I always think of grapes like, you know, you drive up here and you see Willamette Valley Vineyards, right? Up on the freeway. Or, you, I mean, anymore you can go pretty much anywhere and you'll see vineyards. And how are they grown? They're grown on trestles. They're grown on wires, right? So the, so the vines go up and they go down and then the fruit just hangs down and guys come along and pick it, right? Not so in their day. The grapevines ran on the ground. Now what happens if you leave fruit on the ground? It rots. And so the good shepherd, the, or the good shepherd, the, the, the vine dresser, what does he do? They would go along, and when they would see a clump of, of fruit start to grow, they would take the rocks, and they would pile them up, and they would get the fruit off the ground. They would lift it up. 
Have you ever been lifted up? You know, he, he says, listen, I don't want you laying in the ground where you can rot, where you can get dirty. He, he says, I want to lift you up so you can be clean. And what does he use? He uses the word to lift us up, to clean us up. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Since you have in obedience to the truth. Now, what is the truth? The word of God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified, cleaned your souls for the sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring, what? Word of God. He said, what did Jesus tell them? I've cleaned you how? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. You see, as God works through us through his word, he cleans us up from the inside out. Psalms 119.9 tells us this. How can a young man keep his way pure, clean, by keeping it according to your word? You see, God is constantly working in us to clean us up, to make us more fruitful as he cleans us up. Well, he also tells us that fruit-bearing branches abide in Christ. Okay. Fruit-bearing branches abide in Christ. Did you see how many times... Now, does anybody have a Bible that says remain? Does anybody have, have a translation that says, and, and you remain in Christ? There's, NIV does that. A couple other versions do uh, where he, he says, uh, I, am the, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Some of them will say, remain in me. Now, that's, that's probably a fairly accurate translation, but it loses, it really loses that thought of abide. Because when you think remain, when you think about remaining, what, what is that? You, you haven't left. Now, I can be someplace, I can remain someplace and not be abiding I can remain, you know, sitting in my chair, but that doesn't mean I'm abiding with the person next to me. That term abiding is so rich because when we think about abiding and when you look here, it, he, over and over and over he said, the, the true divine that is fruitful abides. And when you think of abide, what I think of is that you are immersed. You're right there next to him. Abiding reminds me of my dad a lot. Because I can remember when I was most distressed, when I was sick, you know where I wanted to be? I wanted to be in his lap. 
I wanted to be snuggled close. When I was a child, I was really sick. I had asthma very bad. And uh, sometimes the only way I could sleep was to be held upright. It's the only way I could breathe well enough. And my dad worked graveyard. And there was many, many times when mom would, would be exhausted from being up with me all night and dad would come home and he would sit in a chair and he would lay me on his chest and I would sleep. To me, that's abiding in Christ. When we totally allow ourselves to be embraced by the Father. And, and it doesn't matter what we're going through. As we abide with him, we're fully immersed with him. It's not just remaining in the same room. It is being in his lap, allowing him to love on us, to carry us when we need to be carried, abiding with him. And he says over and over, he says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Abiding with Christ is part of fruit bearing because where do we get our energy from? From him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, when we're tapped into the vine, that's, that's where we get our energy from, right? The vine, it says it's got deep roots. That's where all the, all the water comes. That's where all the nutrients come and comes through the vine into the branch. And then we can bear fruit. We need to abide in Christ. Well, also it says uh, fruit-bearing branches. Okay, we're going we're gonna to try an experiment. I don't know how long this is going to take, but I press the button. We'll see. Fruit-bearing branches pray for more fruit. Fruit-bearing branches pray for more fruit. <laughs> it's trying. There we go. It prays for more, for more fruit. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then again, look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Now, once again, we talked about this a couple Sundays ago. This is not the blank check. Okay, God, I want my Lamborghini or, or whatever it is. The, the, <laughs> I want the big house. I want all. That's not what he's talking about. What is he talking about? He's talking about bearing fruit. We talked a little bit about what the, what the fruit of the Spirit is, right, in Galatians chapter 5. As we bear fruit, that's what we pray for, right? Anybody been praying for patience lately? Self-control, compassion, gentleness, kindness, right? <laughs> yeah, so I'm praying for all of us, right? Because 
Because we talked about those nine, it says the fruit of the Spirit, right? God's working in all of those fruit. And we can ask him, God help me bear more fruit. And he will what? He will give you more fruit. The vine, the the fruit-bearing vine prays for more fruit, and God gives it to him. Well, there's uh, another piece. The fruit-bearing branches have joy. Isn't that awesome? Look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that you, that what? My joy, his joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Have you ever thought how much Jesus has joy for you because you're his child? And he says, I want your joy to be full. Now I want you to, don't get, don't get mixed, don't mix up happiness and joy. Okay? He doesn't say so that your happiness may be full. Because we know that we live in a fallen world, right? Happiness will always be involved with happenings. Joy has to do with your relationship to Christ. When my relationship to Christ is correct, I have joy. You see, when I go to the doctor and he tells me, you're not in very good shape. You need to change. Am I happy? Oh, no. But can I say, you know what? I can have joy in that, knowing that my God is the great physician. My God is the great healer. When, uh, when the stock market goes down, I, I, most of us have quit looking at what our, our IRAs say, or, you know, that little thing says, oh, the stock market's, right? We don't have to be happy about it, but we can have joy in why? Because our God will supply all of our needs according to the stock market? No. His riches and glory. We, have, we look at things from a different perspective. When the doctor gives you a terminal diagnosis, what does the world do? Oh, it's all, it's all over. And what does the Christian do? It's just beginning. I'm going home. This is the time I've been waiting for. Paul said, I'm just struck with this decision. Do I go home to be with my father or do I stay here and work with you? One is much more beneficial to me. The other is beneficial to you. I don't know which one to pick. You see, our joy is the fact that we know that our God will take care of us. In James chapter 1, it says, Consider it all what? Joy, my brethren, when you encounter what? Various trials. 
knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We're, we're, we're all going to have a trial. You're either in the middle of a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go back into one. That's kind of life, isn't it? I mean, very seldom, very seldom do we spend an extended period of time when life is trouble-free. If anybody has that answer, I want to come visit you. Michael, Michael and, and Kimberly, you guys went backpacking, right? Oh, you're com- it's coming up. Monday. Okay. They're go- I, I knew he, he had put in a time off request. We're going to go backpacking. And I bet you you're looking forward to being on top of the hill where you can see everything. But you know, the top of the hill is not very big, is it? Because as soon as you step off the top of the hill, where are you headed? You're headed down in the valley. And then what do you have to do if you want to get back up to the top of the hill? You have to climb. See, God is constantly working. He wants our joy to be full. And then I want you to see the last thing that he talks about. Fruit-bearing branches are friends of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus calls us his friend. Now that's an important thing to think about. It's not that we call Jesus our friend, but he calls us friends. Now, because we have a tendency to, to do that. Don't we? Oh, well, uh, if you need something, you ever uh, go, to, go someplace and you want to you know, get through a little bit faster? It's, oh, well, the owner of this place is my friend. Now, now you, you might use that a little liberally, right? Because they call the owner up and says, hey, Ben's here, and he says he's your friend. Is it Ben who? Oh, the guy I met once, right? But having someone call you friend is much different. When I was at the FBI National Academy in Quantico for 10 weeks, I was met a gentleman who worked for the Secret Service. He'd been there for many, many years. He was the he was the head of logistics. He was the guy who, who decided how many, how many of the, the big presidential limos had to go on the airplanes. I mean, they have, big, they have the big C-130s. That, and they, how, many, how many of the Suburbans that the, that the Secret Service and how many guys went? And, and he planned all that. And I got to meet him. And he was introduced and... And over, over the time while we were there, uh, he said, hey, Ben, I want you to come. I want to give you a personal tour of the White House. Now, you know, all of us can go. We can go and, and we can tour the White House, right? You can get tickets. They're free. 
and they'll take you on a tour. And uh, so on that appointed time, day, he, he, we met, he met us at the gate, and the, the uniform guy was standing there, and we gave him all of our IDs, and, and uh, this gentleman walks up, and he says, these are my friends. And the guard says, okay, let us walk right in. We didn't get pat down, nothing. We walked right in because we were his friend. And so we go into the White House, and the tours, they're kind of going over here, and they see this room, and they see that room. And, and, and he lifts up that, those nice velvet uh, ropes, right? He lifts that up, and he says, come on this way. I'm going to give you the insider tour. Now, I didn't get to go up to the, to the president's bedroom, <laughs> but I did get to see a lot of the White House that most people don't ever see because he called me friend. I was his friend. You see the difference? You see, when Jesus calls us friends, it gives us access. It gives us access to a lot of different things. First thing it does, when Jesus calls us friends as those fruit-bearing branches, it means we're saved, right? We're in the palm of his hand. We can't be snatched out. Not only does he save us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us access to the Holy Spirit. He also gives us access to the Father. Because we're in him, I am in you, and I am in the Father. Therefore, you are in the Father. He gives us access to the Father. He says, we can call him what? Abba. We can call him Daddy. He gives us access to the Father. He, he intercedes for us with the Father. When, we're, when we can't make it through the midst of the storm, he carries us. He gives us access by being by him calling us friend he gives us so many things and of course he gives us heaven I go to prepare a place for you I'm going to give you heaven but notice what he says about this friend greater love has no one than this that one would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. Jesus was talking about the crucifixion. But he was also talking about us. How many of us would lay down our life for someone else? That's a pretty hard ask. Now we might lay down our life for our families. But just, you know, that's a, that's a big, big ask. But maybe God's laying, asking you to lay down your hurt. Lay down your unforgiveness. Lay down your fear of rejection. So that he can use you. No greater love, but that you would lay down your life for a friend. If he can do that for us, can we lay down 
that offense that we've taken so God can allow us to bear more fruit? That's what he's asking. You know, that, that wonderful statement that he made to them, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. That goes to the crucifixion, doesn't it? And that's what we celebrate when we come to communion. That he laid down his life for us. He called us friends. And as we come to communion, communion has such great symbols. First is the bread. What does it take to make bread? It takes, it takes, you got to have some wheat. You got to have a few other things there, right? It's all got to be grown. It has, it's the fruit of the wheat is part of that bread. And Jesus said what? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. This is broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the wine. That was wine produced. It's grapes. It's grapes from the grape vine. Actually, it's grape from the branches of the vine. You see, the, the vine itself doesn't produce any fruit. The fruit only comes from the branches that come off the vine. 